If you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we're going to be in Acts, um, Acts chapter 1. So go ahead and open those up, Acts chapter 1. Last week, we, we, uh, and we have a couple of visitors, so, so our typical model um, as we study God's Word is we, we go through a book of the Bible, verse by, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and um, we, just, that's just, we just course through it. Sometimes we get through books quicker than others. Um, we um, started our very first Sunday looking at the Great Commission, what it meant for Redemption Hill. So on October 6, 2013, we looked at that verse and we kind of broke it down. We spent four weeks talking about that and how, it, how we as a church were hoping to relate to that. And then after that, we went into the Gospel of John and we went through the Gospel of John, again, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it took us, I guess, about 13 months or so to get through, through that, that book. And then from there, we jumped into the Old Testament. We went to Habakkuk, spent a few weeks in Habakkuk, I uh, went to Jonah, spent a few weeks in Jonah, and then uh, for the last, I guess most of the summer, at the end of the school year through the this, this summer, we looked at the book of Daniel, and um, I, uh, Daniel, as I've said before, I love Daniel, I love the stories in Daniel, the first half of the book of Daniel is probably one of my favorites of the Bible, the second half uh, is a little bit more difficult, with all the prophecy and all that kind of stuff, and and so we we mushed our way through the prophecy, and we finished that up. And then last week, we started in the book of Acts. So we jumped back from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we're going to park in Acts for a long time. Um, I just uh, I want to be up front. I want to prepare you. We will be more than likely this time next year, we'll still be in the book of Acts. And, and some people are like, wow, man, just can we go through it? We could, theoretically, but, but there's so much. Tess and I were talking about this before with Acts. There's so much content in Acts. And, um, and for us, as a, as a, a new infant church, remember, um, October makes two years. And sometimes we want to rush things a bit. Um, and we're going to see that even in today's scripture a little bit. Um, but sometimes we want to rush things. And, and I was um, talking with somebody the other day about our church and where we're at. And and in two years, I believe God's blessed us tremendously. In fact, um, uh, you know, we, I've, every once in a while I have somebody come up to us and they think we're a lot bigger than we are. I guess it's through Facebook and we have these car decals or they see t-shirts and they think we're bigger than we are. In two years, you know, the Lord's blessed us that we've been able to find a location. You know, we don't have to meet in middle school. We, don't, we have a trailer in the back, but it stays parked there. It never moves. It's basically a closet for us. And, um, and so, you know, those are, that's awesome. I mean, you know, for a lot of church plants, it's, it's years of packing and unpacking a trailer. And, and the Lord blessed us in um, about a year to be able to, to, to find a location to move in. And so God's been so good to us, but we're still two years old. And um, I am the father of a two-year-old. Um, and I will tell you this, cash, um, we no longer have to give him a bottle anymore. Right? He doesn't require the bottle like Abe and the little, little ones do. He can feed himself a bit. So it makes it a little bit nicer, right? Except for um, when he's done eating, there's a lot of evidence that he just finished eating. Like there typically is more food on his face, on his clothes, and the floor around him than he probably consumed himself. Um, and, and so I say all that to, to remind us that as a church, we're still, we're like that two-year-old. Like we're, we're making steps forward. I mean, we're, we're, we're not, 
on the bottle per se anymore. We're, we're taking some steps, but we're still young. Um, and, and, and so this book of Acts to me, I think is, is we, we are hitting this book at such a critical time in the life of our church that we, we're going to be able to see the early church. We're going to be able to see the, how the church was formed and how it grew and, and the principles that they used to grow the church. Um, it amazes me today. I get flooded with, with emails and even regular mail um, that, that talks about you know, church marketing and all these kind of things. And I think there's, there is definitely need for those things. Um, I, I uh, will tell you this. I've got a new hated word. I've come to the point, at least in church conversation, to hate the word relevant. Um, we, we have so many churches that um, are, are looking for these three steps or five steps to grow the church or, or these models. And, and if we do these things, if we have... Um, if we have strobe lights and fog machines and we play the music really, really loud, then we're going to draw a young audience. And folks, nowhere in the Bible, at least the book of Acts, do I see that the disciples huddling up, working out a marketing strategy. And so we're going to see that. We're going to see how, how God used these disciples to grow his church. Um, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with creativity. Um, there may not be anything inherently wrong with strobe lights and fog machines. I would just go, I wouldn't be able to focus in on the worship music. Um, but, but we're going to look at these types of things. And so the book of Acts, I think, is just awesome. And so last week, we looked at the first 11 verses. And, um, and there was a lot packed in there. And ju- so just as a real quick way of review, so we can springboard into the last half of this chapter. Um, it starts off, we, we learn that Luke is the, the one who writes this. And this is really, Acts is really volume two of of the Gospel of Luke, all right? And so he just kind of springboards off that, and he's reminding, he talks about, um, he, he once again mentions Theophilus, the one that he had mentioned at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. We don't know exactly who this is. Um, many people believe that, that, that um, Luke was actually a slave during the Bible times, that most of the physicians, the doctors were, were slaves. And, um, and, and what we believe, what, what many historians and um, commentators will say, that, that there was a strong likelihood that, that Luke was Theophilus' slave. And then once Theophilus came to know Christ, he freed Luke to go off and ultimately travel with Paul in different places. And so, but we don't know that, but, but we do know that the purpose that he wrote Luke and then the second volume Acts was that he wanted to give this account to Theophilus. So he knew all that happened. And, and so we, we see this. We see this going from there. He talked about, I love in the very first verse, and it sets this, this perfect model uh, when he mentions Jesus that, that um, he says, Jesus began to do and teach. Um, and that's in the first verse. And I would underline that, do and teach. They, they go hand in hand. One of the things I think the church, universal church, has, has forgotten is the do part. Like we can get really good at teaching. Like we can get really good at getting on platforms and we can, we can shout what's wrong and do all these things. But, but one of the things I think we faltered in is that first part is the doing. And as you look at the ministry of Jesus time and time and time again, we always see Jesus doing something, right? Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's doing a, something good, helping, whatever, some kind of miracle, whatever. But he did something and then he used that as a platform to teach. 
And so we, we mentioned that, and, and that coupled with what Jesus ultimately said to the disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven, he gives them the great commission, reworded here. And he says, listen, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to go back to, I want you guys to go back to, to Jerusalem. I want you to go back to your home. Stay there, and you're going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. And we mentioned quickly, like last week, that, that Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit, kind of three relationships that we see with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit with us, kind of at that point when, when we come into salvation. So the Holy Spirit's with us, then he's in us. And then ultimately what we see here and what we're going to see next week, especially the Holy Spirit coming and empowering us, or coming upon us. And so, so he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to get this power like you've never experienced before. And with that power, Acts 1.8, occurs, that you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, and so he, he pulls this play out, right? He says, all right, guys, so this is the deal. You're going to get this power, and then with that power, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, your own backyard, where you're at, Judea, Samaria, kind of the, the outskirts, surrounding areas, and then we're going to blow the doors open, and we're going to go to the ends of the earth everywhere. And what I challenged us with last week was that same great commission given to those disciples was not solely for the disciples, but that great commission is given to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. And so today, Redemption Hill Church, us as a faith family, us as individual followers of Christ, we have been commissioned with the same thing, that we are to be um, these witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem or Tallahassee or wherever our home may be, in Judea, Samaria, in, in the surrounding areas, in the rest of the cities around us, in our, our state, in our, our country, and then to the ends of the earth. And so last week, we, we kind of used this passage to launch what we're calling our Acts 1-8 Christmas project. And what we want to do is we want to take that first verse, that first part of Acts 1-1, do and teach. And so for the next, starting this week through, um, in some cases, the beginning, middle of, of November through Christmas Eve, we're going to be collecting items and things for three different ministries. Uh, one, we saw the video at the beginning of the church, Operation Christmas Child, done through Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham. Um, I sent an email out this last week in um, discussing this, highlighting these different ministries. And there's a link in there to go to the website if you've never gone. Maybe you've never heard of, it's hard today, I think, to be able to be around and not have heard of Samaritan's Purse or Operation Christmas Child. But what they do is, is, is you fill up a shoebox full of, of trinkets, toys, for kids, and they send that over to these poor, poor communities, and they'll give these children these shoeboxes. Um, some, I watched a video two weeks ago that this boy was giving, man now was giving a testimony that he received this box, and for the first time in his life, he got toothpaste that had more than one color, and it floored him. Like, that's crazy, isn't it? And he got like a bag of pencils, and, and he was saying that he was used to getting a, being allowed one pencil per school year. And, and here he is, he gets this bag of pencils. He was so excited because he thought he had enough pencils to get him through college. And those are things that we take for granted, aren't they? But what they do is it's not just, here's a present, here's a box of presents, go. But they use that as an inlet to begin to teach these children. And so they go through a 12-study deal on the, the great gift of Christ, the great gift of God. 
Um, and so they shared the gospel with these children. And so, um, so we're collecting these trinkets and these things, and, and um, you can go to the website, you can go um, on the email, there'll be a link, it'll be on our Facebook page. We're going to get blistered with this. But, but now and until, I think it's November 11th, Wednesday, we're going to be collecting items for these boxes. And then on Wednesday, that Wednesday evening, we're just going to have a, a shoebox packing party. And for the kids downstairs, they're going to come up here. We're just all going to be in here, and we're going to pack all these boxes up. And um, we're going to pray over them, pack them, and then we're going to send them off. And um, so that was one of the projects. Um, our, our, our Jerusalem here is Tallahassee. And so what we're doing is we're partnering up with a group called the Women's, Preg- uh, Women's Pregnancy Center. It's right, located right basically in the heart of FSU campus. And um, we're going to basically do a baby shower for this campus. We're going to collect diapers and wipes. And, and I, I pray, I hope that we can show up there with over 100 boxes of, of diapers, over 100 boxes of wipes. I hope that we have to have a couple of pickup trucks to get it all over there and, um, and then show them, show those. Um, I don't know about you, um, but these videos that have come out over the last two or so months about Planned Parenthood um, are sickening. I think there's, the last I heard, there was about eight videos. I think I was able to watch the first two, and since then, I just, I, I just, just hard to even imagine um, and so what would be easy for us to do is for me to get up here in church and blast Planned Parenthood. It'd be easy for me to get up here and blast um, um, abortion, all those things. But remember, Jesus said to do and to teach, right? And so we need to come along and we need to show the love of Christ to those who are struggling, um, for those who find themselves in a very difficult situation, a situation that's unplanned. And so we're going we're gonna to do that. And the third thing that we're doing is we're raising funds for the Timothy Initiative. David Delves came in the beginning of November or beginning of June and, and spoke to the church. We raised funds for them last Christmas. Um, it's, a, it's a tremendous, to me, I think it is, it is the greatest mission model that I've seen um, and where they go and they plant churches and, and they're able to plant these churches in countries for about $300. It's mind-blowing. Now, that doesn't mean they get brick and mortar like we have. What it means is they find someone, they find this individual, this man, that they'll train to be a pastor. And that church might meet under a mango tree. It might meet in someone's home. It might meet on a riverbank. But that, that person who starts that is a Paul. And then he goes and he finds two Timothys, two guys that he trains. And then those Timothys go, have to go find two Timothys for themselves. And they have this whole model in which they start planting church after church after church after church. And so in a few years now, they've, they've planted almost 30,000 churches. And so last year, we helped, we, we raised $1,200. They had this campaign going in that time frame that that money was doubled. Um, so, so our gift turned into $2,400, which was used to plant about eight churches in Nepal. And so we're going to do the same thing again this year, um, using the Timothy Initiative as our model to the end of the earth. Okay, so we use that first 11 verses last week to launch this Christmas project. And what excites me about this study in the gospel or in the book of Acts is we can take this information and we can use it and apply it to where we're at now. And we're going to see the same thing today. We're going to, we, we, this, in June this year, we had our vision night in which we showed you guys our core values. We're going to see our core values showing up throughout the book of Acts time and time and time again. Today, we're going to see one of those as well. So all that to say, Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through the end of the chapter, pray, and then we'll start. How's that sound? Here we go. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which is the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in, his ministry, in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. A little graphic. Verse 19, And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akladama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Verse 21. So one of the men who, was, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from, the, from which Judas turned aside to go his own way, home place. Verse 26, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, just the opportunity this morning that we can come together. And, uh, and today, God, there's a lot of things that can distract us and pull us away. Many of us stayed up too late last night to watch a football game. We have a holiday weekend. Most have Friday off. And so temptations are great. And, and going away and traveling and doing things with family is, is awesome, God. But do I, Lord, I, I thank you for those who were able to come this morning. And God, over the next few minutes as we try and dissect this portion of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you, um, that you give us wisdom. Lord, I pray that you allow us to take your word, not add anything to it and not take anything away from it. God, I pray that you allow us to see this in a fresh way. Lord, I pray that, that you imprint this upon our hearts and that you change our lives. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that may not know you as your Savior, that today is the day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you work in us and through us in a way that we've maybe not experienced before. God, I pray that you give me your heart you give me wisdom. You give me your passion. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything that you do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so this morning, this passage of Scripture is interesting to me um, in a few ways. One, if, if we were to take this portion of Scripture out, um, you wouldn't necessarily miss a beat. And the story would continue on. I mean, what we have going on here is, is um, Peter announcing that we know they go back, they go to pray, that, um, that he's, they decide they're going to find this, a, a replacement for Judas, and they cast lots. Um, what, what's um, kind of unique in this is that the one that they choose, Matthias, this is the only time in Scripture we read about Matthias. He's, he's nowhere to be found after this. But I believe this. I believe that God's word is inspired and inerrant. And if the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to write this, there's got to be something in here that we can grab. There's got to be something in here that we can take home and, and apply in our lives. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and pull out a, a few things here and see where the Lord leads us, all right? So this first part of the scripture, I, I, again, I think this is, is kind of neat. So we, we know these guys. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. In the course of the last several weeks, they've gone through a lot. I mean, remember, um, Jesus walked the earth right before he, during his ascension. As he leaves, we know that he was there for 40 days. You know, prior to that, we have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so this stuff's still pretty new in the disciples. They, they've gone through a lot. I mean, we're not that far removed from the Garden of Gethsemane. The last, the last time we have these guys all together praying, like they're at the Garden of Gethsemane. I remember Jesus is there and he, he's, he's, there's a lot of angst in him. And he's telling his, his inner circle, those 12 disciples, guys, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Do you remember like how that unfolds? Like Jesus goes off, you know, Peter and James, they come a little bit further with them and they stay there and then he goes off and he prays a little bit more, Jesus by himself, and then comes back to the group and he finds them all sleeping. I mean, the previous event is the Last Supper. I mean, there's a lot that's been going on here. And Jesus is like, he's pouring his heart and soul at these guys, like his, his closest friends. And he's like, guys, I need, I need prayers. And they fall asleep. And so he wakes them up and goes, guys, pray. He goes back and he starts praying. He comes back again. And what are they doing? Sleeping again. The third time he comes back again and they're sleeping. Like, we can sit back and say, you know, I wouldn't have done that. But I will tell you this, as your pastor, if Peter slept, I would have probably been nestling up, spooning with him. Okay, that's probably what the reality of it is. And so these disciples now find themselves in a completely different situation. These stories that they had seen Jesus tell all these sermons that, that they had listened to, all the miracles that they had witnessed, paled in comparison to this one amazing event that began in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when he was arrested. And the torture that they would see him go through in a very short period of time to, to the point where they would see him hung on a cross. And again, as, as Jesus is on this cross and as he's drawing his last breath, the hopes and the dreams that these 12 men had 
11 men, discounting Judas, had are fleeing by the second. As Jesus takes that last breath, and as the guards go up there and he, his side is pierced, and it's obvious that he's dead, the disciples think it's all over. You know, in, in their minds, they had, for those three and a half years, had misunderstood Jesus' mission. And as he talked about restoring this kingdom, they had envisioned this new Jerusalem here on earth. They had envisioned this new kingdom, this earthly kingdom. They had envisioned Jesus being this new king here. And, and these guys having these nice positions in the inner circle, secretary of defense and all those other things. With Jesus dead, there goes their plans. But as we know, as we celebrate Easter, like he doesn't stay on this cross. He doesn't stay in this tomb, but he comes back to life. He's resurrected, and that completely changed the game. And so he shows up, and they're, except for Thomas, who doesn't get it at first, right? But even after Thomas touches the holes, he's like, wow. And the game changes. And they spend 40 days with Jesus. I mean, could you even imagine that? I mean, this is, as I told you guys last week, we, sometimes in our minds we think it's like this little ghost, this little ghostly thing of Jesus. But this is a real physical body of Jesus Christ. Like, he's sitting with them. He, yeah, he can walk through walls, but he's still drinking. He's still eating. He's still communicating. Everything like a normal person would do. And they spend 40 days with Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, guys, all right, it's done. I'm, I'm leaving. But, but the good news is something coming that's, that's greater than me, this Holy Spirit. And he says, go back. And so these disciples, they make their way back. And in, in this passage that we read, it tells us they went to an upper room. We don't know for sure where that is. There's, some commentators will say that this may have been the exact same upper room that, that Jesus and the disciples gathered for the Last Supper. And it's, it's a great possibility. Others will say that um, because of the size of the group, and we, we realize in this story that we, that we read that it wasn't just the disciples that were hunkering down, gathering together. It was the disciples. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was um, his brothers and the number of probably the wives of the, of the disciples and those other close followers. But the number was about 120 people. So that room that the disciples had partaken in the Last Supper may have been a little too tight for this. So if it wasn't that one individual room, it may have been one of the upper rooms in the temple. Um, and, and one of the reasons we may consider the temple is what we read about next week when we see 3,000 added to the church. But nonetheless, the actual place in which they're residing somewhat insignificant. The fact is they're together. And this is what I want us to, to pull out of this here in verse 14. It says this, And these with one accord were devouting themselves to prayer. They were devouting themselves to prayer. Over those last several weeks, their lives have been turned upside down. 
You know, the moment they think they have it figured out, something help happens that creates utter confusion. Like they're following Jesus, everything's great, boom, like they, they walk in, you know, the, the triumphal entry, parade, finally it's here, and then boom, he's on a cross, he's dead. He comes back to life, awesome, now we get it. Now he's come back to life to show who he is. Now we'll build a kingdom, great, we're making all the preparation, and now he's up in the clouds. Every time they seem or think to get it, something happens to throw them off. And so they come together, they gather together, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. But in this time, we see a much different disciple than the ones that we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, the ones who were falling asleep. These guys, they're huddled together, and they're praying Prayer and supplication. It was these intense prayers followed up with other prayers. We um, should not discount this attitude of prayer. In our lives, we are going to face times when we just don't understand what's going on. We're going to face situations that um, maybe the answer doesn't seem present. Or, or maybe there's that, that fork in the road where you have a couple of different options in, in which way you should go, and, and you're not really sure. There's, there's times in our lives where, um, where we're going to quite honestly feel like God's absent. Like we know he's there. Like we know he's there. Um, intellectually, we, we know that. But, but emotionally, in those moments... When, 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 when doubts begin to creep in. See, that, that those times, I think prayer becomes so critical. But what you, you, I at least noticed, what I saw in this passage is this. They didn't find their own closets. They didn't separate and go into their own homes, but they came together. That's why we, as a church, um, I don't call you guys a congregation one is it always feels like that's more high church and I'm a low church kind of guy. I'm not very intellectual. We go by faith family. Okay, that's what we are. We're faith family. And I say this all the time. I'm crazy Uncle Eddie of the family, but we're faith family. We live life together. One of, I think, the strengths of our church is this. We're not just a church on Sundays. We're a faith family all week long. We've seen that expressed in a lot of different ways. We went through this season in our church where um, the women were very fertile, and we had lots of babies. And with that, one of my favorite things about having kids is all the meals that come with it, right? Um, the only fallback of those meals eventually stop. But, 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 but those who have had the opportunity of receiving those gifts. Um, sometimes it's not always those moments of celebration, though. Sometimes um, as we and our faith family experienced several months back, when we lose a precious member of our family, unexpectedly, those are hard times. Those are difficult. When, when the wise or what ifs fill us. 
But see, it's during those moments that we as a faith family can come together. We can, we can help lift up those around us. I mean, even in this last couple weeks, we've seen Keegan break his leg. First game, right, Didi? That's unfair for a sophomore in high school to break his leg in the first game. But what's cool is all of a sudden, like, you have, like, families that are bringing food over to Didi and Keegan. We have kids that are making cards for Keegan. Like, that's what faith family does. Like, that's, we, we, we come together, and that's what the disciples did right here. Like, in the, in the moments of utter confusion, when, 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 when there were more questions than answers, they huddled together as family. But they didn't just hang out. They didn't just, woe is me together. What they did is they came together and they prayed. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed, looking for God's answers, looking for direction from God. We, um, one of our core values that we mentioned in June, John, I think there's a picture of it, if you can put it up there, is that we're passionate about prayer. I, I hope that that, is our heartbeat or eventually becomes our heartbeat. I hope that's the foundation in which we make decisions at home, in our vocations, but specifically as a faith family, as a church. I don't know that we can seek the face of God through prayer enough. Now, one of the things that I've been wrestling with is how do we give opportunity to put feet to these words. Again, remember Jesus said to do and to teach, right? So it's easy for us. We can pull out core values and say, okay, guys, this is who we are. Boom. Teach, preach. But it's a little bit different to do. Um, and so what we're going to, one of the things that we're going to do to give opportunity to this is starting to end the last Sunday of the month, which I think is like September 27th, is we're going to do this thing called the upper room. Um, it fits for us in that these disciples, they found themselves in the upper room. We today, this morning, find ourselves in an upper room, right? We're in the second story. So we're just going to kind of grab that, right? And so what we're going to do is it's, it's, we're calling it the upper room. And it's a, it's a, it's a night of prayer. Um, what the plan is the last Sunday of each month, and this isn't, the idea is not that we're giving God our leftovers, but the idea hopefully is that we're seeking God at the end of the month in preparation for the following month. But we're going to come together, and, and those, those experiences may look a little bit different. There might be nights where we have a little bit of worship music. But the, the main priority of that is that we're just going to come together and pray. I mean, we, we may do it, if it's just a small group, we may just come together as one little small group. We may break up in, 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 a, in a few little different small groups. We may, I don't know. It, but we, I want us to become people that are passionate about prayer. Prayer has this magnificent power of, of unifying. Prayer has this power of placing accountability. Prayer helps us um, see God's hand, his wisdom, his direction in our lives. There's, there's so many benefits to prayer. And so one of the things I want you guys to start praying about is being involved in this upper room coming up. All right, so we see this idea of, of, of prayer here. And, and, and quickly, after, after they prayed, Peter stands up. And I find this awesome because this is the same Peter who rejected Christ, denied him three times. Like, this is not that long. We're only a few, I mean, 
less than two months ago, he denies Christ three times. And here he is already the spokesman of the disciples. If you guys remember at the very end, as we got towards the end of the Gospel of John, we talked about this amazing interaction when Jesus takes, or takes Peter aside and has this little fireside chat with him. This, he asks him that question, do you love me? Yes, Lord, yeah, then feed my sheep. And I love that picture. It's this, this picture where Jesus is saying, it's okay, Peter. You messed up. I know it. You're forgiven. Go feed my sheep. And we see even right here where, Jesus, where Peter's stepping up to begin to feed the sheep. And he steps up and he, guys, he says, listen, um, and one of the things we, we see in this and what what's, should not be overlooked is Peter begins the quote from Psalms. The, the first passage there in Psalm 69 and the second one, I think it's in Psalms 108. And to me, that's significant because what we, what we know that is, is these disciples were men of God's word. Like they, they knew the Bible. Like they, Peter steps up and says, all right, guys, listen, scripture tells us that this stuff with Judas was going to happen and we need to replace him. He refers to it as prophecy there. And so they devised this plan and they picked two people. And in that passage, we know that there are some criteria that they used. They, um, they needed to be men that were present at Jesus' baptism and, and remained with the group through the resurrection. And again, one of these things that we, at least I forget sometimes, is, is sometimes in my mind I have this picture painted where it was just these Jesus and these 12 disciples all the time. And then they would randomly stop and maybe meet a group here or there. But, but these, there was a, a much larger group that was with them along this journey. And so the, the disciples come up with two options. And then they decide to cast lots. I don't know. Some people say they, that it was rocks. They pick a rock. Other people say they drew straw. What, I don't know how they did it. And they chose... Matthias. As great as this is, um, without trying to add to scripture, I think oftentimes, at least in my life, I can be right where Peter and the disciples are. It's like, okay, go, let's go, let's do, let's do. Okay, we need to do this. Come on, boom, let's set it up. Let's go. Let's move forward. And one of the things we can't discount is that those valley times of life, those, those times where the answer is not fully there, those moments when life is extremely difficult and we don't need to rush God's hand. In my own experience, there have been so many valuable lessons that I would not have learned if it was not for those moments of difficulty. And I believe here, and again, I could be wrong, this is just my personal belief, is that the disciples tried to rush the process and they come up and they chose two people and they told God, all right, God, you have A or B to pick from. Who's it going to be? Again, sometimes in my prayer life, I find this, when you're in difficulties, you're like, all right, Lord, um, I can either do this or this. Which one's it going to be? In Numbers chapter 11 in the Old Testament, there's this Old Testament version. The children of Israel are, are wandering around in the wilderness. God's provided them manna for food. So they had complained about not having food, so God provides manna for them. Then after a while, they begin to complain about the manna, that they want meat. 
And God said, I'm gonna, I'll provide it for you. Well, the complaints continue to come. So Moses goes to God and says, listen, um, God, um, here's the deal. You said that you're going to give us meat. Um, we're just getting manna now. And so um, we can do one of two things. We can go um, begin to kill you know, some of the cattle and the, the, the goats and stuff like that that we're bringing with us, that we're supposed to be taking with us to the promised land. So we can start doing that and eating that. Or we can go back um, to the Red Sea and we can just start fishing and maybe we can just eat all the fish out of the Red Sea. But So these are your two choices, God. Which one's it going to be? And one of the things I am learning more and more is that God does not like to be placed in a box. So often if I give God the choice of A or B, he delivers with C. And in the case here in, in Numbers chapter 11, as Moses is saying, listen, you, here's your two choices, God. Shortly after that, this whole flock of quail come flying through. That wasn't one of the equations. That wasn't one of the opportunities that, that Moses was, was offering God. And I, I believe here in, in Acts that the disciples are like, okay, God, here you go. We've, just, we've, we've narrowed it down to two people. You can pick one or two. And, and this is, again, just this is Chad Clement's speculation. This is not the gospel, okay? But, but Revelation chapter 21 tells us that, that, the, that the disciples' names will be written upon the 12 foundations of the world. And my belief is this, that Matthias's name will not be present. Because as we get through the book of Acts, we have this other individual who shows up by the name of Paul. And Paul will have some tremendous stories that we're going to read about. I mean, a good portion of the New Testament was written by Paul. Amazing. You see, and it's my belief, again, I could be wrong, that God had wanted Paul to be that replacement, that 12th disciple. The disciples were too busy rushing his hand. This morning, I, I just want to challenge us with this. Where's our prayer life? As we go through those moments of life, are, are we just going to God as Santa Claus with a wish list? Are, are we just going to God independently in our own closet? Are we deliberate in our prayer life? Are we sharing that with others, our faith family, maybe our, our, our biological family, our friends? Are, are we bringing them in? Are we staying close as a faith family? As we continue to grow, as we begin or continue to take steps forward, as we, as we transition out of the terrible twos into the threes and the fours and we get out of our toddler years and into our preteen and teen years, will we be able to look back and say that Redemption Hill Church is passionate about prayer, that we come together as a faith family and we pray, pray, pray. And as we go through life together, are we going to try and rush God? Are we going to try and play the role of God by giving him certain options that he can choose and bless? Or will we fully say, all right, God, you're God. I'm not. You have the answers. I don't. So you provide. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Um, Lord, I thank you for this, this scripture. And even though it, it, by reading it at first glance, it, it comes across as, as maybe something that we could even skip and not really even worry about, it provides so much encouragement 
in this area of prayer. Lord, I, I pray that you help us individually and as a family model what the disciples did here. That you help us to devote ourselves to prayer. Help us to become passionate about prayer. Help us to understand that it's more than just coming to you with requests. That this is this opportunity that we have to talk with the Creator, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who provided salvation for us. Lord, just that thought alone is amazing. Lord, I pray that you allow us to to not go through life as just individuals, but as a faith family, to come together in prayer. Lord, I, I know that there are a lot of hurting people, even in our own family. There's sickness. There's struggling marriages. There's parents that are questioning their ability to raise kids. Our children and all that they're facing. God, there's so much going on around us. God, we come to you this morning in many instances, not knowing the answer, but resting in your lap. God, I ask that you work today in a very real and tangible way. It's in your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen.